Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Blue Chew. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. to finish it. Sid just may finish it. If Sid hits it, it's over. We got a new champion. of the two-man power trip of wrestling. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only J.P. John Paz. And John will be joining us in just a couple of minutes here on this gigantic four-year anniversary spectacular that we've got in store for you today. As you can see by the title of this episode, we are joined by former WCW and WWF champion, the one and only Psycho Sid, Sid Vicious, coming on the airwaves with us tonight. And we are so excited to have Sid join us for this monumental fourth year anniversary special. Obviously, Sid fits this show like a glove, especially with what he's got going on today. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But Sid Vicious, I mean, can you say anything else? Outside of being one of the best big men in the history of the business, the sheer size, the sheer power, and the absolute amazing look that he had made him the absolute perfect prototypical professional wrestler uh, standing out uh, amongst everybody. I mean, you think about that blonde hair, you think about that chiseled, massive physique that he had, and you go all the way back to those early days in WCW when he first burst on the scene there as part of the skyscrapers and then part of the four horsemen. And then you just watched his career catapult into the stratosphere. And uh, Sid obviously leaving his mark everywhere that he went. 
as they used to say, he can go wherever he darn well pleases. And that is something he did throughout his career, going back and forth between WCW and the WWF. And also with a couple stops there in ECW, he was in the USWA. And he made his mark wherever he went, because obviously, how are you not going to push this guy as a champion or as a top heel and even as a top babyface? Because we talk about it in this interview, and John was there to experience it live in 1996 when Sid beat Shawn Michaels for the WWF Championship at Madison Square Garden. The Survivor Series, definitely one of the marquee events for the WWF in a year full of transition where the Outsiders left with the WCW. And Shawn Michaels holding the title was in a uh, kind of a downward spiral as a champion because the ratings were in the toilet and they needed to make a move and they made a move pretty fast after stopping through Madison Square Garden in October. Vince McMahon decided that instead of the proposed Shawn Michaels versus Vader match, they're going to switch it up and they're going to go with Shawn Michaels versus Sid. And if you watch that match, you see the crowd completely, completely shit on Shawn Michaels and go 100% for Sid from the second he starts walking down the hallway and through that entranceway with the music blaring, the crowd was going absolutely bananas for Psycho Sid and he won the WWF title and there would start probably his most prolific run all the way to WrestleMania. He lost the title, he gained the title back and he obviously faced the Undertaker that year and what would be the Undertaker's kind of crowning again as the world champion but still from uh, November 1996 to around April 1997, Psycho Sid was the man, as he says, in the WWF and definitely held that title uh, with a lot of great opponents. He had Vader, he had Bret Hart, and obviously he had Shawn Michaels and he had The Undertaker. And when we talk about what Sid is doing today, he is working with the St. Mary's Episcopal Cathedral down there in Memphis, Tennessee, where he is helping raise money for their mission in Haiti. And if you donate an item to this mission, you can get a Psycho Sid autographed picture. You can get a Psycho Sid autographed item, but you have to show your donation. And all the information is enclosed in this episode where you can help out Psycho Sid and the St. Mary's Episcopal Cathedral Church down there in Memphis, Tennessee, where Sid resides. And you can help out a great cause and you can do yourself a favor and not feel the wrath of Psycho Sid. So as we look here at our four-year anniversary, we look back over the four years. We do it all the time. We hit a lot of milestones on this show, and obviously the growth over the four years, it's unbelievable. I mean, not just professionally with the podcast and the things that come out of the podcast, whether it's working different events, whether it's hosting different events or the different shows that we're a part of, but also, you know, personally, John and I both have a ton going on in terms of what's transpired in our lives from when we started the show to now. And you've been there with us over four years for a lot of growth, for a lot of changes, and we continue to deliver for you as much as we can for anybody who's ever downloaded one episode of this show. If this is the first one you haven't heard in a while, well, guess what? You got the same old guys. We're on this show doing the best we can. And if you throw our lineup out there against any other podcast, I, I really, I beg you to look and see the difference between what we do and what they do. We are a very, very niche product. We love to get these rare names out there to you and give you a different kind of interview. And we've brought in other different shows like our feature show, which is kind of shedding light into people that are around the business that we may not get onto the airwaves of TMPT, but we give them the platform on the feature show to kind of explain what's going on in another segment of the business. And then, of course, how can we forget the Triple Threat podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas? Not only is he a co-host, but he's a great friend to John and I. He is an unbelievable individual, and to be part of the franchise brand is an absolute uh, highlight for me. I know it is for John, and uh, we are so proud to be part of the Triple Threat podcast. As much as uh, Shane may make us want to tear the rest of our hair out, sometimes uh, he definitely delivers every time we get on the air and we're very thankful to be part of the franchise Shane Douglas being in the podcasting world and just a little bit of this TMPT empire that we talk about every single week. So please stay tuned with us as we move forward into the fourth year on this episode after Sid. I'm going to give you a little bit of the uh, the other anniversary shows we've done. Anniversary shows one, two, and three. We're going to throw out a little bit from each episode that we have had and the, the guests that we had on for those 
three separate anniversaries. You're going to hear them following Sid as just a way to fill out the time and give you a little bit something extra to listen to, maybe a story or two that you haven't heard before. Again, if you're a new listener, these are guests that we've had on in the past. You know, we're, we're closing in on episode number 400, if you can believe it. And uh, to see who we may either bring back or see who's on the horizon. It's always uh, something I've said since the start. You never know who's going to be on the other end of the line of the two-man power trip. So with all that being said, we want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. Stay tuned during the Psycho Sid interview and you'll find out how you can save on getting your first Blue Chew order courtesy of the two-man power trip. As well as be prepared because it's coming soon. The hype will start for both of our conventions. Mark out at the Meadowlands on April 7th, the day of WrestleMania in New Jersey at the Meadowlands Hotel with the football meets wrestling theme that we've got going on featuring Jim Ross, Stan Hansen, Tito Santana, Tully Blanchard, Danny Spivey, the natural Butch Reed, Scott Putsky, and many, many more guests involved. All that information can be found at matmcon.com, as well as May 18th, 2019 in Richmond, Virginia, the Midnight Express 35th anniversary coming to you at the Holiday Inn down there on Commerce Road in Richmond, Virginia. Jim Cornette, Stan Lane, Bobby Eaton, and Dennis Condry reuniting for one of the only 35th anniversary celebrations of the Midnight Express taking place this year, and it's all going down in Richmond, Virginia. You can head to tmptofwrestling.com and brownpapertickets.com for information on that great event, but we will hear a lot more about that in the coming weeks, so stay tuned, and thank you so much for listening. We appreciate everybody and every download we've ever received. So with all that being said, let's get you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the psycho man himself, the master and the ruler of the world, Sid Vicious. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a two-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, a two-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion, the master and the ruler of the world, he is the one and only Psycho Sid, Sid Vicious. Please enjoy.
us on the line tonight is a man who's a four-time world champion, two times with WCW and two times with the WWF. He is the master and the ruler of the world. He's also the man that rules the world. He is the one and only Psycho Sid, Sid Vicious, joining the two-man power trip. Mr. Vicious, Mr. Psycho Sid, how are you doing tonight? Great. How are you guys doing tonight? Actually, he was a five-time world champion. I was world champion one time for like 30 seconds or a minute one time. Maybe three minutes. <laughs> hey, we will amend that. It was at the, the pay-per-view at Halloween Havoc, me and Sting. Um, I, I don't really know what happened. Um, I never knew this was coming. They just told me, you know, that I would uh, Sting would come back through the curtains or through the door acting as he'd been hit behind the doorway. And then he'd be selling his head. I'd roll him up one, two, three, and I'd be the champ. That's what I was telling the dressing room. We got to the spot. Barry Winter, you know, Sting went to the door, came back. It was Barry Winter, rode him up, and he didn't say anything to me. I got the belt, turned around. Next thing I know, Sting's back in the ring. And um, um, the referee says, hey, take the Sting and Splash. No one ever told me that until that second. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's Halloween Havoc 1990. That's a classic uh, classic image of Barry Windham dressed up as Sting, uncanny-looking uh, dressed up as Sting that night. Right. And the thing about it is, I still, you know, it's sort of weird because I was not there with a match with the way of it. That's when they only had four pay-per-views a year. They they told me for three months, you know, I was going to be the next world champ. And then that happened, and it just, <laughs> I don't know. You think he would have told me about that part? (laughs) Yeah, you'd think. And that's another thing, too, with Halloween Havoc 90. That poster is, uh, it's one of those iconic era posters. You two staring at each other, you and Sting. Something about it. I don't know, Sid. When you think back to those days, it's, uh, there's just something so special that even a poster can bring a smile to your face and uh, get you thinking of some of those good times. Sure, of course they do. I was looking at a book. The wrestling book, uh, Danny Davis, the uh, referee, and even if that was uh, that was the old WWF territory where you got to see Gorilla Monsoon as you know as a worker, um, uh, some other guys like that. It was really cool seeing that, and that's why I like it. Like I said, when I see a poster, I saw one in a book. Um, it was, had you know one of the things that has your friends on there. You were in that territory. So when you see those things, that does remind you of the good old times. Yeah, there's so many of them, and uh, we'll get to talk about a couple here. But more importantly, I really want to talk about this, Sid. And you're doing, you've done a lot of great things in your career, but right now you're doing something very important as well. And you're working with a charity for handicapped children in Haiti, where you're getting on the phone, you're talking to fans, you're also providing autographed pictures. Tell us a little bit about that, and tell us how uh, the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip can help out with this endeavor. Well, it's uh, West Tennessee Haiti Partnership dot org. Now, first of all, I'm I'm just um, I'm learning how to do this stuff. Um, lady who really runs this deal and runs that website. If anybody looks on that website, you can get on there. You can sign up for you know one donation, a donation by the month, or whatever you want to do. And if you look at the website, it talks about a couple things. Of course, the lady's name is Doctor Susan Nelson, the one the lady on that website that you you would you know leave your contact information to. Um, but uh, she's the one, again, doing all the hard work. Now, one of the problems, one of the things they have in the, all the stuff I've read is called tuition gap. So one of the things they do there, now, first of all, let me tell you, in Haiti, I, I think I don't have to say this, but sometimes when you have to, people really don't know. Uh, Haiti in this place, uh, West Tennessee, HaitiPartnership.org, it is uh, all the kids are handicapped there. And in Haiti, when you're handicapped, it's a horrible place to live anyway. Uh, you're pretty much discarded. Uh, a lot of, there's out of 200 children there, I think that's about what they have right now. I think 80 are full time now. Uh, so the 120 that come through there to, for the school for the year, it's uh, their tuition. Again, the thing's called tuition gap is what they're really trying to target help on. So. If uh, these kids get, you know, education, they get, and it explains it all. They're not don't have time to tell you all of it, but they have a, a doctor and facility on hand. That these kids get to go to, and all these things and all these donations go to these things. So it'd be too hard for me to explain them. So if people look on them, they'll, they'll see what I'm saying. But the tuition gap is this: 
say I'm, I'm going to just guess it. Just say seven hundred dollars a year for a kid there. <clears throat> what they try to do, Dr. Susan Nelson, she tries to get people. You no, know, all right. So we're going to say we're going to pay six hundred of that tuition gap, and then the families that try to bring their children there, all they have to do is pay the hundred dollars. So that's how the hundred twenty children are coming that don't live there, and that's one of the things they're trying to get done the most. Because from my understanding, they're trying to get anything. Like we're right now, we're gathering up vitamins, uh, anything we can take to go over there. Uh, uh, we just sent back a few months ago a lady over in Louisiana, um, uh, Maggie is what I call her, Donna Williamson. She sent 200 toothbrushes, 200 things of toothpaste uh, to send there for them. It's just whatever you can get. The vitamins, I think, one of the most important things they try to reach, uh, reach up and raise. That can all be sent to through Haiti uh, Partnership.org, or it could be just sent to St. Mary's. All that, St. Mary's is the church that all this is coming out of. Um, but it's a really cool deal. Now, you know, when I look around at all these things, there's a lot of other people having a tough time too. But this is something we're trying to do. Um, and I see when people look at this, it's almost like, okay, I, everyone I've talked to is almost gave, given something right then uh, because it's a really easy thing to give to. Yeah, and I got the information here if you want me to throw it out. The uh, the name of the church, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, uh, Episcopal Cathedral, and the address is right. 700 Poplar Avenue, Memphis, Tennessee, 38105. Okay. And, you know, again, it's a, you've done a lot of great things in your career. But well, the this f- is the thing on that, too. This is what we don't suggest. Don't send anything without contacting someone because if, if say, if you send something over there, if it has, and we don't, they ha- they're taking some of these things to everyone from in suitcases they get from the Salvation Army. Uh, if you see any, you can't see anything to Haiti because if you do, the government to get it. So it's a hard way to get the things in there. Say if you send something to the church right now, say, and it has an expiration date to work before they can get it over there, if they get over there and it has one thing that's got an expiration date on it, everything they have there is going to be forfeited. So, um, but there's, again, there's a lot of, it's, it's, it's a great, you know, you just look at it. People look at the website. It's sort of self-explanatory. It really shows what the kids are getting. Uh, now, I do say this. I don't think Susan would be mad at me for saying this. And I had said something to her before. Is like, you know, because you see the kids in a great situation where they've got nice clothes on and stuff like that. But for the most part, that's just that moment of the day they're there. That's the only meal they're probably going to get that day while they're there. Uh, it's really a lot tougher than the pictures look. And I'll say that again. She'll probably be mad mad at me for saying that. But but again, Susan Nelson too is a very, very nice nice lady. Um she she wants these kids are so important to her. She didn't want them she told me she didn't want to see flies in their eyes and stuff like that. You know, because that's her you know, that's people she really cares about, you know. Uh this guy at the church, he's a deacon, Drew Woodruff, he goes over there quite often too. Um I wish sometimes that you guys do another blog sometime I'd like to get him on here to talk about it because he's been over there. He could tell you more things firsthand than I can. Yeah, and uh, back to the donations, you know, obviously that's non-perishables. You don't want to send cheese. You don't want to send meats. You want to no. send those non-perishables in there, and you do not want to forfeit that donation. But, but now, this is the thing is, if you send something to our church, you know, we think, you know, Drew Woodruff himself, that he's head of uh, what's called the um, Saturday morning pop-top uh, missionary drive is for the, the people who are unfortunate. And what we do, we give two cans of Viennas, a pack of crackers, uh, a bottle of water, um, like a milk meal pie, and something like that. And uh, and around about that. And if there's a can of sardines or whatever, you know, vice versa. But we have a, a storing facility there at the church. So if you send some stuff, and if it's things we can't use, we give them right to the food bank there. The mission is just, you know, Throwing distance from the church where we, you know, right there, St. Mary's, and Drew Woodruff again. He helps, you know, he gets a lot of stuff from the food bank as well. When we, we could get more things cheaper there, so it's a, you know, if we don't use it again, we give it to someone who can use it. Um, but again, um, on, I'm sure on St. Mary's list of uh, people, Drew Woodruff's name will be on there. I know it's on all the church things, but um, again, you can also contact me here at my home number eight seven zero. Seven three nine three three zero six as well. Or contact Cycle City Promotions, the guy named Eric, and he'll contact me as well.
So, Sid, what's it mean to be able to give back with your uh, your status and to have the be basically be the face of this uh, this fundraising effort? No, again, I'm not. I just jumped in the last couple of years. This lady, Susan Nelson, Drew Woodruff, been doing this for a long time. I'm not the face of it, so I want to get that straight too. This isn't none of this. I've not done any of this. I'm just I'm just trying to help like they do. Of course, you know, Susan does it more in depth. Where they'll meet with people and have fundraisers. They just had one with the church. In Memphis, where they raised eighty-five hundred dollars, it didn't have to be just money towards the tuition gap. Where you, you don't have to give, you know, whatever it is, six hundred twenty or six hundred eighty dollars to fill that tuition gap. You can just give twenty bucks. You know, they have a and, and on the website it explains all the things to that. How you you know you can give as well. Now, Sid, I just wanted to mention to you also recently, obviously with the passing of Mean Gene, just kind of wanted to get your your take on your time with Mean Gene Oakland. You know, uh, it was a Gene was again. I'm sure everyone is. I can't say anything. Someone has probably hasn't already said. You know, Gene was he was at the top of the. You know, he was just one of the guys you really look forward to doing interviews with. He was you know the greatest of the greatest. You know. Uh, it just, it was everything really, you know, Gene was cool, man. Also, um, just a really good guy, a really smart guy for the business. Someone, uh, gave me a little good advice before. Um, just a really good guy. And I told somebody about it today. And it's not just him, I think, Vader, uh, uh, Jim Neihart. It's been a tough year for that going on, you know? Yeah, so many untimely deaths. Uh, for sure in the rest of the business. So many big names, so many legends. Do you have a great, you know, Mean Gene story of maybe some backstage interaction or maybe even on-air interactions with him? You know, no, I really don't. To be honest with you, when we did interviews, they were all, um, you know, it was business. And I do say, people remind me of this one, not that I really don't remember, but if they, so many people told me this, I'm sure I did. You know, it was, again, I say that people don't really believe me is that a lot of times I just was I, I, like when I was doing my first interviews with Gene, Mean Gene, this uh, Sid Justice, you know, I didn't really know what I was, uh, who Mean Gene was. There was any difference in Mean Gene that you weren't supposed to yell at people like that. Well, I must have called him a ball headed oath one time, but you know, was just in character doing that. But um, had, this is how powerful he was. People call him. Just a, a couple of weeks before this, before he actually passed away, the guy reminded me that he goes, man, when you did that, it was like crazy, man. You know, and this is a wrestling fan saying that. So that goes to tell you how much power or how much, uh, how much feelings the people had for him. Hey, let's pause one second here to tell you about the benefits of using Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Now, you don't need to be a genius to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us that need to be enlightened, how about this? It's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to sit in that doctor's office and look like an idiot and wait for your turn. It's got the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, and it's fast-acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. And it comes in very discreet packaging, so your nosy-ass mailman isn't going to know what you're going to be doing and taking care of business in your bedroom later tonight. And if I I had to give Blue Chew a grade, I would give it a G-O, as in go to bluechew.com and use the promo code POWERTRIP and get your first shipment free and pay only $5 shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Use the promo code POWERTRIP and take advantage of our very special offer. So get over to bluechew.com right now. Because using Blue Chew outweighs any of the other alternatives that are out there and make your weekend perfect. And why don't you go and spice up the finer things of life? I remember that quite well. It's so funny. You little bald-headed oats. Right. <laughs> so good. You know, you know you're talking about you're, you kind of just being in the moment and kind of just doing those interviews. Nothing was scripted, right? I mean, you just kind of go out there and you do your own thing, and you're Sid. You know, you're the one kind of talking and, and speaking in your own voice. Right. You know, that's the way it was. Is uh, They might say sometimes, um, you know, like if you're doing a, live interview for you know nitro or raw or something like that they might say hey we want you to hit on this subject and a lot of times that subject never got hit on with a lot of people and probably myself as well but then you just went up there and sort of did now i always had a lot of stuff to pull from things i'm reading and stuff like that you know um but a lot of times you just you know you just have done it so long you wing it now um Again, unless 
like I remember one that was really pretty cool and Vincent did a really cool job of this and this wasn't your normal interview but these are really but I think one of the coolest interviews I've done is all Vince's idea well, they put me in the Balamo Dome an empty arena to do an interview uh, about the match I'm going to have there with Sean now that was all scripted and, and you know pretty much like that now, I think I came up with maybe some of the verbiage but there wasn't a whole lot there you know so but uh, now those are there there would be those as well you know but for the most part, they were all, you know, you just winged it. Which is a lot different from what they do today, but I, I just remember you. I mean, so charismatic. I love the promo. So believable. So scary in a sense, but in another sense, loved you so much. Like, you had a roof for you. You had all this charisma and stuff, and I remember the great hype to, to that match, the Royal Rumble, but I remember being at MSG at Survivor Series 96 when you beat HBK and you were supposed to be the villain. He was supposed to be the good guy, but guess what? You were cheered heavily, and he got booed out of the building that night. Well, and too, and I'm not trying to add to that, but I will, is that on that night, too, you know, they made me hit Jose Otario with the with the camera. Now, I said that night when they were going over that, you know, not that it mattered, but it'll, I think my stories are pretty the same. You know, this is, you promise this thing, and then it just seems like that so happens so much to me. You know, I was just told I was going to be a babyface. Not that it mattered really a lot. I was on guaranteed money at that point. Um, and I said that's why I would take guaranteed money because I didn't trust anything that it said. But um, when they said to do hit him with the camera, I said, man, I thought I was going to be just a babyface. Well, we got to sell seats to that arena. And by doing that, that really started off with, and I was always like this anyway, but made me when I, and I've always liked, you know, sort of like that, but not until this point, it really defined it where one night I was a baby face and one night I was a heel. You know, I'd work with the heel one night and the baby face the next night. And I know I was the first to have done that, and we did business everywhere we went. And I was, the, I know the first to do it and, and sell tickets doing it. You know, so that did sort of start that off, um, which it was made for a good run, made for the business to take off. But um, yeah, I remember that night. Yeah, it was interesting. You were like, you weren't really a bad guy. You weren't really a good guy, but you got cheered so much. And I just love that it's MSG. They think that by you hitting them with the camera, maybe you might get booed. And the crowd goes nuts, and they loved it when you won. You were so over. It was it was unbelievable. I still had great memories of that night. Well, me too. And I, how I got there actually was a better memory for me. People, Some people heard the stories that what was happening there was, you know, um, I was told that we all told you know, that um, Vader was going to be in that match that night. And I was going to put Vader over in the pay-per-view before it in your house. Uh, well, you know, I, Vader actually put me over during that match, but I was supposed to put him over there. But what got me to that was working in Vader in the Madison Square Garden show before SummerSlam is when I think I changed Vince's mind to put me in that match and take Vader out of that. You think it's because you are so over and he is so yes. in tune with that New York crowd. I mean, he loves that MSG crowd. That was his father's crowd. That's his crowd. Right. So I mean, I sort of, I mean, I, I think really I did as well in that MSG as anyone as far as, you know, being over no matter what position I was in, you know, heel or babyface or whatever, you know, what road I was taking, what, what curb I had my foot on. But again, it was, um, I love that place, man. You were so over. It was crazy. And I remember when you came out that night, you were fist bumping everybody. And I still just remember you coming out of the entrance place. I was pretty close to the ring and stuff. Fist bumping everybody. You feel the electricity. You feel the energy. Were you technically the inventor of the uh, the fist bump? I think so. I mean, I think the first... You know was weird? I did that years ago, and I didn't use it a lot. Was um, I hit my chest and, like, go to the camera. And mm-hmm. my wife, it says... You know, Sydney, you need to do that more often, and and I did, and it started getting over. But it started. I think when I see that happen today, I wonder if I did. I don't remember people doing that before then. Uh, some people do it just like I did. You know, like explosion. Uh, I don't remember seeing it myself before I did it. I'm not saying I did make it up, but I don't remember really noticing it beforehand. The crowd love it. The crowd took to it. And I just think it's stuff like, you know, you calling yourself the man. And, and I see Becky Lynch, who does it on TV now, so she's the man. I think myself, like, 
no, no way, not a chance. Only there's only one man, and that is Sid. Well, the people made me the band, so you know, so sort of the way the people were the man. I mean, oh man, it's such great memories. You had such great charisma. You had the look. You know, you, you so much athleticism, so much skill for a big man like yourself. Did you take, you know, a lot of pride in the fact that, you know, you weren't necessarily going to be, you know, like the Bret Hart where you're the technician, but the crowd loved everything. If you threw a punch, the crowd loved you. If you pointed, the crowd was with you. Right. <clears throat> no, I, this is the thing is, is I really, and you saw as far as technician, and I'm not here to not Bret, Bret was a great worker, but as far as technician, you would say point more towards someone like um, Steve Regal or Shawn Michaels who, did a lot of counter you know, stuff like that. Not saying Brett was not great at that, but Brett was just like a pretty much a kicker and a puncher for the match that I had with him, you know. Uh, but I wasn't technical, but I wasn't say different ways. I think in my, you know, I tried to use my 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 mind a little bit in that sport. Where, you know, I'll give you an example where instead of grabbing a hold all the time, I try to think of a way to grab a hold without grabbing a hold, and, and I use it, Scott. Uh, Hall owned this a lot. He was raised Ramon as a babyface <clears throat> in there at the MST. Say, so give him a slam or something, and I tell him just sell. You know, walk you know, on your hands and knees to sell away from me. And you know, you know, the people know that they, you're going to grab the the trapeze or grab a hold or grab the neck or something, and just sort of start stalking behind and just stopping for a second and just like looking around, look to left and right, and then next you know, the people are like, come on, man, get up, get out of the way, you know. And then that, to me, was more fun than grabbing the hold. Definitely makes sense, and it's and there's some more psychology there. And there's that psychology. And uh, for his working too, he said, "I'm not trying to take up for myself. That I went technical." Thing about working guys is, if I can do that, like you said, hold people, but just thinking that people are, think I'm gonna grab a hold or pointing a finger or fist pumping, which that wasn't really a big deal. But again, if I could do that and say, be what you think popular, but if I can do that and sell tickets, that's a big deal. And definitely, I mean, and you were such a huge, huge draw for them and so important. Do you like your WWF run or do you like your WCW run more? Because, you know, you've obviously both made a banner, you made a banner start. Well, this is the thing, you really can't say you had a run WCW. No, WCW wasn't known for large crowds and, you know, things like that, you know, just one. So if you ever judge yourself about if you were able to, you know, sell tickets or, you know, make people come out to read it, it could only have been the WWF, and that's what place it. You could really judge yourself because one is that you knew everything, uh, what was going on, like you knew that what Vince used to refer to the machine was behind you. I mean, you had the, the PR, you had the strong TV, you had the creative team, all the things, a million things. You know, and if you were in that spot and, and all those pieces of the machine was working for you, you could actually see it unfold in front of you. And <clears throat> that would, you cannot replace that with anything else but that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I was going to say, not many people have main evented not only Starcade, which was WCW's big show, and WrestleMania, which obviously is the show of shows. And you were able to do that. So, I mean, obviously, those bold companies had a lot of faith in Sid as well. Right, I think so, too. And of course, um, after you know, pretty much my first run of Sid Vicious, I think my credibility was there the rest of my career. And I think that's sort of what sets me different. I think what you're looking for is that right there is that really, man, from after really skyscrapers, uh, from that moment on, and as far as the two main territories, I was pretty much a main event, a semi-main event most of the time. And then after the skyscrapers, I was pretty much the main event in both territories pretty much the rest of my, you know, career. And I'd say 90% of the time. And that's what stands out to me, uh, that I was able to do that. You see a lot of people coming together, you know, one run for two years or something like that. Like Austin had one run. You know, I mean, they really had that run after I created some momentum there, um, wearing so much, pretty much the same stuff I wore. Um, but for me, I had runs in WCW skyscrapers. I had to run a Sid Vicious and singles, and then went to WWF. Had to run a Sid Justice. and came back here. WCW had another run of Sid Vicious on top. Then went back at Sid Cycle. Sid had to run on top. 
Then another run, actually two, I took a year off, come back and said, Psycho said it's separate, a different spelling, and that's the truth. It went from P-H-Y-S-C-H-O to S-Y-C-H-O. It went from two, actually two different Psycho Sid names with two different runs on top, and then come back and said Vicious with a run on top. I think that's pretty hard to duplicate. I 100% totally agree. And I even love when you threw in you when you had that undefeated streak at WWE. When you threw in, not only were you the man, you were the Millennium Man. I well, love that. This is the thing. That's Eric. That's guys. You, I'm not being rude to you. Someone was silly saying that. That's a wrestling deal. Meaning the run is I came in again after all these other runs, and I still was on top. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not just the world belt, but you know, with the Goldberg thing, that was more important than the belt. So again, I come in again. You know, with the major run. So that's how I determine what a person did in this business. Yes. I mean, and when anybody says the name Sid or says the name, you know, Sid Pop and stuff like that, it's always related to you. And then it's, I always find it funny. It's like you go to ECW and the crowd that is just known for chanting ECW isn't chanting ECW, they're chanting Sid, Sid. Well, there you go. I had a run there. Not only was I over there, but I was actually bigger than the company. And I think that was probably the only person they did that for. Yeah. You know, um, but again, too, I went there and they were having numbers they never saw before. You know, not, I mean, that's what mattered to me. You know, Um, and then the few people that recognized that, understood that. I got that recognition from them. That's what paid off for me. You know, it's like, I know I was part of that. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Now, as we start to wind it down, Sid, you know, you've had such a crazy, like, amazing career. So many highs. Like you mentioned, four titles, technically five war titles. I mean, on top, everywhere you went, like you mentioned, main eventer here and there. Do you have some favorite opponents throughout your career? Is there some favorite matches maybe that stick out above others? I could have a bunch of my, but uh, really, uh, you know, just free people to work with. There's so many guys. You know, I, I, I'll go to people who think this is crazy, but top two, because I thought, and a lot of these guys, I'm going to say, <clears throat> were all workhorses, but uh, Bigelow and Vader were really fun to work with. They were big guys. They did, they actually moved slower than they looked uh, with you in the ring, but they worked their asses off. And Bigelow was by far maybe, one of the, uh, you know, psychology-wise, uh, able to change a match, do a match on the fly better than anyone in our business. I'd say right there with Harley Race as far as, you know, psychology. But as far as everyone I've met in my life, he's maybe the smartest guy in the ring. Um, a little silly outside the ring in the locker room, just a really sweet guy. But uh, in the ring, he was definitely a general. Then Vader was a hard worker. Shawn Michaels, another, you know, hard worker. Um no, it's just so many of them, but um, it'd be hard really to say. Um, now, I think I'll go back up and because it's really WCW, my bidding, uh, beginning of my career, what really sticks out to me was all those matches I had with Sting across the country. You know, uh, he was a lot of fun to work with, maybe the, one of the most memorable ones of all the great ones. Love it. Love your matches with Sting. He's just—he's one of the best. Now, so you got to realize, too, that we having great matches. We probably knew very a lot little bit as we did later on. Um, but it was just a lot of fun with him. He was real giving. Uh, of course, everybody, all these other guys I was talking about, too, also what made them really good work with they were real giving. Um, Sean was probably the biggest giver. You know, he always came up with spots that made you look better than you were, say, maybe... And I never was embarrassed about asking for a spot to get myself over. And he could actually think of spots that were better for me sometimes. Or, you know, like, wow, man, I appreciate that. You know what I mean? So when you find someone who's giving like that, that makes for a a good match. And so all those guys I just mentioned had all those same things in common. And also this, not many guys get the main event WrestleMania against Hulk Hogan or get the main event later on a main event at WrestleMania against The Undertaker either. So, I mean, that's a pretty great company that you're in. Yeah, I, yeah, that, I, I, that's something else, too. I got to had some really good dance partners through my career. Now, Sid, as we get to wrap it up here, usually uh, we will get right back to Haiti to end the, uh, the, the call. But before we wrap it up, what we like to do is we like to look back at your career 
and we'd like to see from your perspective what you think the fans will take from the career of Sid Vicious at the end of the day. Is it, you know, the dominance? Is it the, the world championships? Is it coming up with some of these amazing catchphrases like master and the ruler in the world, two men enter, one man survive, you know, these great things that you did. What are the fans going to remember about Sid Vicious at the end of the day? Man, I really think all the things that a person does and whatever he or she does in this business, you know, uh, they're all part of their, 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 their character. Putting all those things together and putting out there the words called credibility, I think that's what I did. I put credibility out there. I wanted the people to believe in that. I think I did that pretty well, if that's what you're asking. Um, for At the end of the day, I think I... I think that's what the people saw that, you know, through all the hard work I put into it, you know, and I, everything I thought of, I thought I'd try to make it as credible as possible. And doing that, I think that's what I did. If that's what would you call Is that what you're Yeah, it's basically when we wrap these interviews up, we like to just kind of take a look at what your legacy is going to be in professional wrestling. And I think you summed it up there pretty damn good. Yeah, I think people will say that. I said, man, though, whatever he was doing, and people say the educated, the uneducated people Educate people so I see how he did all these things. And even if you're not educated, you're going to see all those things because it's going to be like some of the things you guys said. You just pointed the finger and it meant something. Oh, I can name 10 things off the top of my head. Say thank you so much. Have a great night. Appreciate the time. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Tag team belt around your waist now. 
because there's no emphasis on tag teams. And at the time with you, you're a former Intercontinental Champion. The pedigree alone as being a part of a tag team was kind of unheard of because of the fact you were so over as a singles champ. But, yeah, I mean, we didn't even get a chance to mention other teams, you know, like the Powers of Pain and the Rougeos. And it's, it's just so amazing how many quality teams there were. But, of course, I mentioned it already, the breakup between you and Rick was just – uh, of that era, probably one of the best done turns in history, and you guys had that feud going on the house show circuit, the television tapings, for what seemed like, you know, two years. And you two were as just as good of an opponent as you were a team, and did you love working with Rick, you know, across the ring as well as uh, teaming with him? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he was the... Uh, he, he was such a you know a positive guy and 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 you know as far as workers go, you know you, you couldn't find him any better. You know he, he was uh, he knew the business. He had charisma and uh, it, it was uh, what we used to say a, a night off. Uh, you know knowing that you're going to go in there, you're going to have a, a great match and you're going to entertain the people and you're not going to get hurt. You know uh, contrary. To, Working with Rick the Hammer Valentine, uh, you didn't know if you were going to walk away, you know, from uh, from a match. Uh, Rick Martel, uh, we 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 compete and 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 uh, we entertain the people, and you know we had great matches, but uh, uh, we knew that we weren't going to hurt each other. Wait a minute, you just saw him there adjusting this alleged protective gear on his shin. And for my money, there's no question in my mind that has additional pressure to the figure four leg lock. Just like that, they submit. Jimmy Hart in the half Here's once again victorious. Figure four is more devastating than ever, McMahon. I've never seen such quick submits before. Let's go back to the replay, and I bet the rock somewhere along the line will be taking a look at this real close. There you see the hammer cinching in the figure four, gets it on, and Omar Atlas wastes no time in giving up. About a second and a half. Hogan got the biggest bucks. He had a separate deal and everything, but, um, you know, it was like, there was like, um, I guess there was 15 guys, 15 guys that, you know, the Iron Sheik and Volkov and I mean, this whole bunch of guys, probably about 15 guys in the 80s right there that, you know, we were a team that just drew all kinds of money. The matches were good from from the, the start to the, to the finish. And, um, you know, it was just, Everybody knew how to work. Everybody knew. Everybody got along. That's another thing. And everybody was a happy family. You go into the dressing room nowadays. Everybody's playing with a phone or some game. Back in my day, everybody was. It, it was a family. You know, it was a family. It wasn't the days of cell phones and stuff like that. So that has a lot to do with it, guys. You know, just hanging around, not. not socializing because of damn telephone there but you know back in that day it was a family and we were out to make money from top to bottom you know and to be proud and to be proud of our product we were we were proud to be in the wwf i know i was and i was proud when i was in nwa but i was more proud when i was in wwf because they were you know they were they spearheaded the pay-per-views and the WrestleManias and the Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, and SummerSlam, and all those, all those great pay-per-views and Monday Night Raw. Back then, I guess it was Tuesday Night Titans, but then they recreated Monday Night Raw and all that stuff, you know. So everything was innovative. Everything was cutting edge. It was a great time to be a pro wrestler in the eighties late 70s, 80s, early 90s, and then, then they, you know, they kind of lost the, the it factor. Well, when WCW went down and Vince kind of took over everything, you know, it's, um, you know, you got to have competition to keep, keep everything going, you know. If there's only one sliced bread on the, there's only Sarah Lee and nothing else, you know, I mean, it's, the bread's not going to be as good. 
same thing with the wrestling. You got to have competition. Now, I really didn't want to do it. Um, I didn't mind being Honky's partner with the blonde hair and everything, but you know, um, but you know, they they Jimmy Hart chased me around with a bottle of black dye for eight months and stuff, and so finally I just decided, you know, I'll give it a try. You know, I was I'd been there twenty some years in WWF, so. I, uh, with everything I do in wrestling, I, I go out a hundred percent or even more and, uh, we made it work and then he Vince hired the road warriors. So that was it for rhythm and blues. They put honky talk in the, uh, in the, uh, radio on that or not radio, but television announcing Vince. And then, then they, uh, they did a deal with me where they shipped me to Japan once a month. And actually, you know, it was all right. You know, I was going to Japan for about six months, gave me a, a break from the WWF. Then I came back with the blonde hair and kind of did a baby face turn so-so against Jimmy Hart. But, you know, the office wasn't really behind it. I wasn't really behind it. And, uh, you know, I was after WrestleMania seven. I was ready to go, but you know, you look at it, 1979 to 1992. That that's a pretty long run in a, in a big market like that. Oh yeah. And uh, and after that, I I did a few jumps in WCW and that, but I had a great independent run and went to uh, a lot of places, Europe, Japan, and all that, and independent. Uh, I was just asked to come to Germany a couple of months ago, but I, with all this uh, terror stuff going on, I, I was just, you know, I passed on it. I don't want to, I don't want to go to Europe. You know, I mean, you never know. Me over there with a the blonde hair, I'd be a, I'd be a perfect target. <laughs> it's it's funny. We just didn't. Uh, I don't think uh, we really got you as a as a babyface because we wanted to see you drop that hammer. You know, I'm the good guys, not not be one of the good guys. So I can definitely see, you know, as somebody growing up, we uh, we didn't really uh, we didn't really dig the when you got the theme music, then we knew it was all over because uh, we just wanted to see the uh, the the robe come out and a couple of those hammers drop on, uh, you know, some of those pretty boys. But so you did not like the uh, the baby face run for uh, for the hammer. No, because you got you got to be. You got to be exactly the way you were as a villain to make it work. I've, I've watched my dad in in Texas, biggest heel of all time, and then he would come out and they put him against Flint Spawn Eric or some other heel. Naturally, he right away as a babyface, but he didn't have to change his style. And uh, you know, if I could have done something like that where I didn't have to change my style. It was a real small baby face run. I worked with Dino around, and um, you know, so no big deal. I, if the office wants to be behind it, that's fine. I don't. I. 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 I didn't like it, so I wasn't. I wasn't ready for that. Now, when I do independent shows, you know, they're so happy to see me because I'm not on television anymore. I'm. I'm right away a baby face, but I can turn that around to being a heel real quick. Last week on Nitro, I proved to the entire world that at any given time, I could become the WCW champion. Is that boring? Now, the fact of the matter is that I am not an athlete, nor did I ever claim to be. As a matter of fact, there are many that say Vince Russo has no business being in the ring. And you know what? Maybe they're right. So tonight, being the man that I am, I am going to relinquish what? my WCW title. Yes. No! To, no, don't do that, Mr. Russo! You know, you know what part of the misconception is about me? And, and bro, listen, I, I'm not saying this to be braggadocious. I, I'm really, bro. I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like I don't, I don't give a crap. I that, that stuff 
is not important to me. But, bro, like, I wrote for characters long enough to know what gets a character over. And at the end of the day, here's what gets a character over. This, this is what gets them over. You've got to sit down with somebody. I don't care who the talent is. Bro, I work for a little indie promotion here. I don't want to say I work for them. I mean, I work with them. I try to help them out. And I still do the same thing to this day. Okay, bro? Every talent I've ever written for, you got to sit down with them and you got to have that first initial conversation with them. I mean, bro, I did this with Edge. I did it with Christian. I did it with Valvina. I mean, you name it. Every single guy. And, and what you're looking for, bro, is you're trying to get to the heart of them. You know, who are they? Um, you, know, you know, how are they made up? What's important to them? Um, you know, what, what do they hang their hat on? What do they take great pride in? What separates them from everybody else? Then, bro, once you find that little nugget, you take that because it's unique to them and you multiply it a million times over. Now, bro, here's the reason why you do that. These guys are wrestlers. They're not actors. They're going to wrestling school. They're not going to acting school. So basically, you've got to find something in them that's very real. So when they go out and they portray that, you magnify it a million times over and people believe it. They're not acting because it's real to them. Okay? That's the key to getting a character over. With that said, bro, when they started putting so much freaking pressure on me to get ratings at WCW, bro, I never wanted to be a character on TV. I never had an, uh, any intention of being a character on TV. Me being a character on TV, bro, it started at the WWE. I'll tell you how it started, bro. They just started that show on Saturday mornings, Livewire. Bro, this is the God honest truth. So I watched Livewire. Bro, I thought the show sucked and was atrocious. Okay? I watched it the first week. Bro, I swear to you, the next week it was a Friday. Livewire was shot live on Saturday. Bro, I went in Vince's office and I said to him, flat out, I said, Vince, that show sucks. I, I said, I, I don't know what they're trying to do, but the show freaking sucks. Okay, bro? Bro, I swear to you, Vince McMahon looked at me. And he goes, you think you could do better? Bro, with, 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 without even thinking, I said, yeah. I said, I know, I know I could do better. I said, the show sucks. Bro, Vince turned around to me and he said, okay, you show up at the studio tomorrow morning. We're going to put you on the show. I said, okay, no, no problem. Bro, I, do you think I thought Vince was going to say that? But I, I sure as hell wasn't going to back down. So I said, okay, no problem. Bro, we did the show the next day, the very next day, freaking live. We rehearsed nothing. I, I took on the Vic Venom persona, and I dressed down, you know, Michael Hayes, Jim Cornette, Vince McMahon, the whole freaking nine yards. Okay? Now, bro, fast forward to WCW. I, I did nothing else on TV at the WWE. That's it. I did nothing else. Fast forward to WCW, bro. They're putting so much freaking pressure on me because they want ratings overnight. So I literally said to myself, you want ratings overnight? Fine. No problem. I'll go out there and I'll freaking do it myself. That, that's what I said. M my job was on the line, bro. I wasn't going to depend on anybody else. I wasn't going to depend on these guys making huge salaries, and a lot of them didn't give a shit. So I said, okay, fine. I'll, you want ratings? I'll go out there and do it myself. So, bro, what did I do? I, I did exactly what I did with every character I wrote for. People freaking hate New Yorkers. People, people in their minds have stereotyped New Yorkers. New Yorkers are a certain way. They're brash. They're rude. 
rude, they're arrogant, they're conceited. If you don't live in New York, bro, you freaking hate New Yorkers. So I said, you know what, bro? I'm going to give the people exactly what they want. I am going to be the New Yorker that everybody wants the New Yorker to be because we hate people from New York. And, bro, I went out there, and I was that guy. Okay? Bro, that, that's not me. That, that's not who I am. That, that's nothing like what I am. I'm, I'm a, bro, I'm a, I'm a softy. I'm a baby in a lot of ways. I, I, wear, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. I freaking cry when I watch movies. That, 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 that wasn't me. I was playing somebody. I was playing the New Yorker that everybody wanted me to be. Bro, to this day, I promise you that is 90% of the reason why so many people disdain me. They disdain me because in their minds, I am still that guy. And, and, and I'm not, bro. Like, that's, that's, that's not me. I don't carry myself that way. Bro, I swear to God, I, I buried myself at WCW and later on at TNA. I buried myself simply because I never put on a power play. I never wanted power. I never wanted more money. I just wanted to write the television show. That's all I cared about. And those around me who, who were political animals buried me and were burying me because they were afraid of me and because they knew my talents. And the only way they were going to bring me down was to just freaking bury me and bury me over and over and over again until they convinced that person that I was the person that, that they wanted me to be. And, bro, I didn't fight back. I didn't fight back because my whole theory was, listen, if you want to buy their BS and you want to buy into that and you're going to believe them, bro, no problem. Get rid of me, them do the job, and let's see what happens. Bro, you know, again, with, with TNA, you can look at TNA, bro, and you can, you can look at the numbers and you can pinpoint exactly where Vince Russo left the company. You can look at those numbers and see exactly, okay, Vince rode up to this point and then Vince left. Because, bro, you look at that number and month after month after month, they started losing more and more and more audience. So that, 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 that is the misconception, bro. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They, 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 they don't know about Vince Russo, the son, the husband, the father, nothing. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.